Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. This show is brought to you by Flatiron's Tuning, your source for any aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts. Be sure to check out our store at flatironstuning.com, and stay tuned with Flatiron's Tuning. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. This is episode number 84, and we've got Scotty in the shop, and we've got a, another special guest joining us. We've got Mr. Tim Hardy from Tim Hardy Racing. Now, Tim, I think probably as long as, as we've been running Pikes Peak, you've been running Pikes Peak. You might even have been running it a few years before us. Um, and so we've always kind of seen you like on the hill. You've been a fan fest with, uh, with this uh, E30 BMW that has just been kind of constantly being refined, improved, changed, modified, and finally had the opportunity to, to bring you on and talk, talk to you about it. And... Maybe just as a start, can you tell us like what what is it about the Pikes Peak Hill Climb? How did you get into driving? Like what 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 was the catalyst to get this this ball rolling as it was? Yeah, I mean, there's there's kind of a lot to it. Um, I started rally crossing back in high school uh, with a buddy, uh, actually a couple of buddies, and we were running like you know three or four people to a car, which you know they would never let you do that nowadays but um that kind of all got us hooked on racing and i eventually kind of got my dad involved and that's kind of what jump started the whole thing off rally cross is just a super through the seca is just a super cheap way to get to get going you know the races sure. were like 30 bucks back in the day so or maybe even less <laughs> yeah. um so you know it was it was kind of a shared dream between you know my dad and then um yeah, he's always running, wanted to run the peak. I've gone up there as a kid. I grew up in Colorado Springs. Um, so I knew what Pikes Peak was about <clears throat> and, you know, in the back of your head, oh yeah, I'd love to do it. You don't really think it's a possibility, but, mm-hmm. um, I think for me, what it was is in 2011, uh, my buddy Pat told me, he's like, yeah, I signed up for Pikes Peak. I'm going to run my neon. And I was like, you know, shit, if he's going to do that, I should, I should try to do that. Let's see if I can you know, find a way to, to make it happen. And so I went through a bunch of random ideas in my head of what cars to choose from. And I narrowed it down to, uh, either a 240 SX or an BMW E30 and found an E30 first. And that's what I went for. And probably there could have, there could have been, you know, a million other cars that I could have chosen that were, that would have been a lot easier to start with. Like even an E36 would have made life a lot more simplistic. <laughs> Well, okay. Was that the last year, 2011? Was the first year it was fully paved? Yeah. So okay. So 2012 was the first year I ran it, and that was the first year it was fully paved. I, okay. you know, I wish now I for sure it would have been able to do just like that little snippet of dirt, just to say hmm. that I did a little bit of dirt. But it just it didn't work out with timing. I was, I think in 2011, I think I was 23. So it was a it was a struggle to like that's part of why I got a car in Craigslist that was cheap is because I didn't have a huge budget. You know, I was working, sure. you know, as many hours as I could and doing as many jobs as I could just to basically get like a car ready for Pikes Peak and, you know, kind of, kind of worked out the first year. So. Well, and, and you said you, you were rally crossing before that. I mean, rear wheel drive car, all wheel drive car. Yeah. So we did a bunch of different things. Um, okay. The first thing we started out with was a rear wheel drive car. It was a Volvo 740 that we got from, this was before Craigslist. It was on a thrifty nickel. It was called okay. it was yep. 200 bucks. I think it was. Um, and it had like, 
my buddy Greg and I, we went down to uh, Fountain, Colorado, and it had like a really bad rear main seal leak and just went to go pick it up and we drove it home. And it just, I mean, it was probably really bad decision driving at home because I'm sure it was like courts and courts and courts by the time we got home. <laughs> wow. But we, we fixed it up and we ran it in, I think the stock class for a couple of years or a couple of races. And then, you know, being teenagers, we're like, oh, let's just, we're going to go into mod for whatever reason. We decided to just completely strip it out. We put Lexan windows in it, like cut off the exhaust. It was still super, super, super slow, but it looked a little bit cooler. I guess right, we right. Like, it like Rustoleum and had like stripes and stuff down. It was a, it was a fun car. And then that thing eventually got rolled um, by, I think it was Greg who was driving at the time. I, I wasn't even there when it happened, but that basically ruined that car. And we started, my dad and I, we were both doing it at the, at the time. And we went to a front wheel drive, like Ford Escort. That was actually surprisingly quick. And um, I ended up winning nationals, I think one or two years. And I think, I haven't looked it up in a while, but I think for Rallycross, I think I'm still the youngest guy to win it. And it's oh, getting wow. more and more popular. So it might be, that might stand for a little while. I think it was 18 or 19 when I won it. Um, wow. So it was a while in, ago. In a Ford Escort. In a Ford Escort. Yeah. Okay. So it's a, okay. It was a Ford Escort GT. So it's a 1991. Um, it's a fun little car. I mean, it has, it's basically a Mazda. It has, that's the version that had a Mazda engine, the 1.8 BP. Okay. And it, it did well. It was fairly light. So it didn't have like a limited slip or anything, but it, you know, for the tight courses, it did just fine. Yeah. Um, and then we, I guess in between that, there were a couple other cars. We had a Mazda 323 GTX, which was like, that was when both my dad and I were starting to learn how to like modify cars, like after uh -huh. the Volvo and just made all kinds of mistakes and blew things up and didn't do things correctly. <laughs> There's a lot of, a lot of trial and error. Like there was one particular thing where I don't know if it was my idea or what, but we decided to try to use PVC for the like intake charge pipes and they just like oh. kept blowing off, which obviously makes sense. And then we would just start tightening it. And then the pipe just got from, you know, whatever it was a two and a half inch and it just kept getting smaller and smaller right. and smaller because it was just melting, melting up. Yeah. That was a lot of stupid lessons learned on the, on those cars, but yeah, well, I mean, you gotta, you gotta learn. learn. Yeah. <laughs> Very good place to learn for sure. Yeah. Well, and it, it sounds like once you, when you started doing this, you, you were doing a lot of the mechanical stuff yourself. So you guys, as soon as you started playing with cars, racing cars, you also started working and developing, you know, your skills as mechanic and that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and then how, so like, I mean, rally, rally cross driving in dirt. I mean, I in, like driving in dirt, certainly see the appeal to Pikes Peak until they started to pave it. Did you, did you do anything on tarmac before you started running up the peak? Yeah, there, um, so there are other races that I did. Um, and it was, it was similar to like, you know, there's series that still exist, like the 24 hour lemons and things yeah. like that. Um, there was a, there was a series called lead foot rally, um, mm -hmm. which it wasn't actually, um, there was a, some of it was on dirt, but they had like six or seven events and they had like, you know regular oval track they had uh like road racing at pmp they had like precision driving they had like all these different facets and that's kind of where i really got a first taste of like actually being on a track and driving a car on pavement um 
totally wrong setup, like not having correct tires and just like, you know, not knowing that we should align the car, not knowing to check tire pressure, just any of that stuff, like, or wow. in the car. And so it was just, that was how, how a lot of the guys were. So you just, you know, everybody was pretty yeah. mid pack. And then there were like right. a couple of guys that knew what they were doing and they were like way ahead of everybody else. And you're like, what is going on? <laughs> like, right. how are they going much faster? But, um, so that probably helped a little bit getting accepted that year. Um, but back then it was definitely in 2012, it was definitely a lot easier to get accepted. Um, sure. To now. So, I mean, sure. I think, I think it still helped having that in the background and, um, you know, using those guys that ran the event as like the, um, uh, whatever they're, whatever they call when you, when you need a, um, like reference a reference. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Well, and, and so once you, I mean, it sounds like you, the car literally found you and then you just started running up Pike's peak. I mean, that, that first year, cause I mean, you, if you bought this car off Craigslist, you had to turn it into a race car. So I, I would guess that did the majority of your time and energy get spent just literally just putting in the safety gear, putting in the cage, getting yeah. it, getting it ready to run. Yeah. I mean, it was, so it was a, a monster challenge. Not only it's it, and this happens every year, but it's a time versus money thing for me because it's, you know, you can spend all your, uh, your money and pay somebody else to do it, but then you won't be able to get as much done. And then vice versa, you, yeah. you do all the work, you don't have the time and you, you can't make as much money. So it's definitely a battle of choosing what you do and how crazy you go. But the first year was kind of just mostly to just get a car together. Um, and I had some goals in line in, lined up about what I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure it was turbocharged just because of the power aspect up there uh -huh. um, and then work on safety first. So uh, I designed the cage and I built the cage. It took me like probably a month and a half or closer to two months because it's the first thing I've ever done that was that complicated. And I just made sure that I, you know, I got the, the fitment of the cage as close as I could. So there weren't, weren't any gaps. Um, and then I, went through the rule books like 500 times and I took rule books from FIA and then just anything in the SCCA. And I tried to make like a, you know, something that would work for everybody. So it would hmm. work down the line and make it safer than it needed to be. We made sure that the the pipe was like, I think our car calls for a one and a half inch, uh, like 095 minimum. So we bumped up to one and three quarter 095, just so it was a little bit stronger and a little bit beefier. Um, uh -huh. And then, I knew that I, I, I wanted to get a co-driver the first year, but I couldn't really find anybody. And I said, ah, I'm going to still make it. So it's, you know, like the FIA style. So there's still crosses on each side just for, just for the safety sake of it. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of the road racing cage, you know, it's, it's all noted up just on, you know, above the driver's head and then the passenger side, it's just kind of whatever. So. Right. Um, Nobody's not, sitting there. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you don't need as much bracing, but you know, there's, there's safety benefits, rigidity benefits to, yeah. to a little bit of a weight penalty, but sure. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I did everything possible on the car. Um, and it was a, it was a huge learning curve. Um, cause I had some, I had, you know, from rally cross and a few other things I had, you know, a fairly good idea of how to fabricate, but like, I really don't think I actually sat down and like learned how to like MIG properly mm. and like just all the things that go into fabricating um that you take for granted until you sit there and you're trying to do it like 
you know, and then I was super cheap with things. So like I wanted to make dimple dies, but I didn't have, I don't want to, I didn't want to spend money to get a dimple, dimple die set. So I figured out how to do it with like a three quarter inch socket and then like an ex- three quarter inch extension. And then like this jig I made, it's just all these like weird things. And it, it's still what's on the car today. And nobody knows that until, you, right. you know, like I posted on the forum and a couple of people, you know, said things about it, but a lot of the information just came on from online. So it was like, you'd spend 12 or 14 hour days working on the car. And then in between that or at night, I'd be searching on the forums, trying to see like what other people did or, you know, get examples or just try to figure out and read through the lines of, you know, there's so much misinformation out there online and sure. like, what is correct, what isn't correct. And then you're trying to make the best decision while you're building the thing. And um I mean, I, it worked out the, the one thing that really helped both my buddy Pat and I with the neon, which is, you know, very unfortunate, but the, uh, Waldo Canyon fire was that year. And so they ended up delaying the race. Oh, by, right. I was like, a, I think they delayed it till it's August. Like, yeah. It was like two or three months. And that was like a huge saving grace. Like, I don't like I, my car was ready, but it had zero arrow and like, you know, it was, it probably would have been a much worse year. I'm sure that screwed other people, but for me, it was like fantastic to have this and even better for Pat. Cause like he didn't even have his wiring together. The car hadn't started. Like, Oh, wow. Everybody, everybody seems to go crazy on Pike's peak and it always, you know, inevitably <laughs> you're doing way too much at the last minute from procrastination or whatever, but right. his, his scenario was like greatly helped by that fire. So wow. as, as tragic as that was. Well, and I mean, I think it's always been this way where you you can register for Pike's Peak, find out if you're in like, I want to say it's the first week of January or last week of December, something like that. So like right at the very end of the year, very beginning of the next year is when you know and that it's, you know, I I think at that time it was the last sun, or the first Sunday in July, then they moved it up a week at yeah. some point there. But so like, did you did you not start prepping the car until you got in or did you start prepping the car and then apply? No. So I started working on the car, um, basically right after I bought it and it, it started out a little bit slow, but I bought it in, let's see, I believe it was August of 2011 okay. uh, with the intention of doing the race. And so they don't let you register until November. Yeah. Um, and like you said, we, I had no idea if I was going to get in, I was just like fully like, the way I approached it is anything I could do to, you know, that was time intensive or um, something that it didn't cost a whole lot. I would try to do all of that work. So mm. I pulled the engine. I, you know, spent time trying to sell the stock engine that was in there and just, you know, make as much money as possible in that time frame, and also do all the hard work of like stripping the stuff down. I put the car in a rotisserie that I built with built with two Harbor Freight uh, jacks. Uh, engine stands. engine stands yeah, yeah. Oh that's my. the best rotisserie out there yep <laughs> yeah. wow it was awesome and like i didn't really properly measure it and so the first time i started turning it over it was like within like half an inch from hitting on the ground and i was there by myself trying to get oh no so by the time it started going over it was just like it's either gonna totally freak the car up and this was after building in case so i was like oh my really gosh. worried about it but it, it cleared and um got it on the rotisserie, pulled all the, like I went crazy for all the, um, the weight reduction. That's why I had it on the rotisserie. So I could get to the undercoating to strip the undercoating off the car a little bit easier to save that 20, 
25 pounds or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. um, and now we take a quick break from the podcast to ask you for a little help. If you listen to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports podcast on iTunes or Spotify, we really appreciate it, and we are trying to grow our audience here. So if you can, maybe tell a friend or share your favorite podcast episode to help get the word out. It would also be fantastic if you could rate and review the podcast on this platform that you use. That will go a long way to help other people find out about the podcast, and it will help our audience grow. And as always, you can support the podcast by visiting our website, flatironstuning.com, for all your Subaru OEM and aftermarket parts needs. Thanks very much for listening, and now, back to the podcast. So it was, yeah, there was a lot of work done for sure ahead of knowing that we were actually, both of us were actually in the race and it was just kind of like a huge sigh of relief that we were, that we both made it in. Um, and I think that, that was the year that Pikes Peak realized that they accepted way too many people, like way too many people. I think it was a hundred cars and a hundred bikes is what they initially, um, accepted. And mm -hmm. wow, there were a lot of problems that year, like Paul back throttles got stuck and he went straight off and then right there was, um wasn't that the year that where there was the crazy hail at the top yeah there was there was all kinds of stuff that happened i mean there yeah. was like my buddy pat didn't qualify all that well and he he ended up getting like most of the way up <clears throat> and like there's a pretty good picture of him with like it's like three quarters inch at least of hail on the ground and he's on yeah who's a sixes at the time just you know the closest things you get to a slick and just plowing through it and probably yeah. going four miles an hour but you know he made it to the top so um i thought i had it bad just going through a little bit of rain but i you know you don't you never know what you're going to hit up there especially the later you go in the day you just you know on those thunderstorm afternoons you have oh yeah you're going to face so um, man yeah. well and, and you said that you you decided right from the word go that you're going to turbocharge the car so so you're you're putting the cage in the car you're you're taking all the weight out of it yeah and then so what did you what engine did you decide to put in there and and turbocharge yeah so that was that was one of the harder decisions of the whole thing and that's where a lot of the forum stuff came about because you know the requirements were i just wanted something that was like probably good enough for like 500 horsepower um, on the stock side, I didn't have money to do any forged internals or any of that jazz. Um, and the best bang for the buck. And I still think for the BMW side of things, as far as like right now, if I wanted to go get a backup motor and, you know, start building it, it's, it's the same scenario that we started with. And that's the same thing I'm running now. It's a, it's an M52 motor. Um, and so the 2.8 liter out of a 328i, um, and, you know, all this information was on available online and really back then all I had to do was, I think we ran gas that first year. So we just ran a thicker head gasket and, you know, ARP studs and I think we might've done ARP, some more ARP rod hardware, or yeah. it's hard to remember that far back how much I did. I know it was, it was a little while ago. Yeah, I know a stock, a lot of stock in the, in the motor. And I think we had, I think we we're at about 14 PSI and, you know, with lower compression and that was plenty of power um, okay. for what we were trying to do. You know, it's, it's, it would be crawling if I drove that car, I'm sure to what I'm used to now. Um, but, you know, it, it made a good amount of power and um, I got lucky too. Uh, I found a, before I really knew that I was going to go turbocharged, I found a fairly inexpensive lower mile um s50 motor out of an m3 and so i actually used the head off that because it was lower miles and there were problems with 
I think it was the M50 or I can't remember what generation, but there's, there's valve train problems with some of the stock motor and that had already been addressed in that head. Hmm. So I just used that head and slapped it on the M52 with a thicker head gasket. And that's still the same head that I'm running now. It's been gone through the cams um, or the, the same cams I'm running this, this whole time. So that's, that motor has been a very good purchase. <laughs> For um, sure. I mean, that's how many, how many times have you run that up to peak then? 11? Uh, it would be, well, I took off a couple of, that would be the ninth time. Ninth time. Okay. I ran it. Yeah. I, t- I took off 2015 and then COVID 2020. So right. Okay. I've done it the whole time, but yeah. <laughs> two years in, in out of 11 to miss is not that bad yeah you're still good. doing okay <laughs> yeah well and and did you know what you were getting into for race week with pikes peak no i had some like i had you know kind of an idea but it really didn't hit home until you know probably went through like the rookie orientation and mm-hmm. i remember going into there and like you know the rookie meetings now are probably like 10 guys in the room when we went there it was like it was like a regular driver's meeting and it was all right. rookie. so and you know lane trance was giving us like the 411 on what was going on and um you know you you have an idea but they throw a lot of information out at you and i remember just you know not being fully prepared not having enough crew um you know re- relying on people that didn't same thing they didn't really know what it was about and you know we, we learned a lot in that first year and those first couple of years about like what not to do and what things to have ready and like how much coffee you need and just right. all the, little, <laughs> all, all all the coffee are, like, really yeah. important to have that you don't really think about. And, you know, yeah, you know, I'm sure there's stuff we still miss, but you know, <laughs> well, and, and obviously you've done it multiple times. So it was a good enough experience that you decided to do it again the following year. And yeah. At, at this point, would you say that you've, you, it's just, you've got the bug. It is just something that you like, as soon as the race is over, you're starting to think about next year. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit of like a love hate relationship. Um, because that's just like, it's an overwhelming process for me to, to get the, like this year was, you know, an example of like it almost killing me before the race even starts. Um, cause it's, it was just like two months straight. I took off two months of work. And then prior to that, it was like every free moment I had, I was down in the Springs working on the car and you know there were definitely moments where i'm like god why am i doing this still like yeah. I've proved what i can do blah 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 and it, it, it was definitely like you just have to push through some of those moments of like you know the the dread because you know it's all going to be worth it once you get it all all figured yeah. out and ready to following go. you on on instagram for the few months before pike's peak this year you you could you could feel the stress it was thick oh yeah, oh, yeah. it was thick I, in those posts but I, so so you've got because it's tim hardy racing on instagram right yeah so so if you're if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it go back and look at his instagram but i gotta ask you this question because i as i was watching this i was thinking i was wondering this question did you post all those pictures in real time yeah so like so like you you took a picture you posted it up so whenever you see it whatever date that that picture was posted that's the date that's where you were yeah so okay we're gonna i want to get more about the last minute yeah, I want to get the progression, but like I, I'm watching this, like so you made a huge bunch of changes this year. You went, yeah. you just you swapped in a dual clutch transmission into this car, and you moved everything. You moved the engine back. Was it four inches? Nine inches. Yeah. Nine inches. <laughs> so so nine inches back, dual clutch transmission behind it. You had to cut out the transmission tunnel. You moved everything. You basically 
this is this is now not a BMW E30. This is a Tim Hardy one, is what this is. Pretty much, yeah. It's and, still it's still way too much E30, but yeah. <laughs> but I I was looking at this going like we're I think there was some point where you were just welding the transmission tunnel back together, and it was like four weeks before the first test, or maybe it was even yeah. four weeks before race week. Yeah, I mean there's. There was, this year was like pretty dire as far as like trying to get things done on like the goal. Right. And right. a lot of it came down to, um, well, I started what I thought was fairly early and I should have probably started in like October or November of the previous year, but I started in January, mid January, I started ordering all the stuff and I started, you know, taking the measurements. I started pulling the engine. Um, and I knew, I had known or had this idea of what I wanted to do um, ever since I like heard of the DCT swaps because um, I've always wanted to do a sequential. Um, uh-huh. Last year we had, I think it was three transmissions blew up, three ZF transmissions, um, all different things. And I think it was just a power level and kind of at some point relying on junkyard transmissions that we got and just like testing them and seeing if they blow up right. or not. Um and it just didn't seem very reliable to me. So I looked at the other options and the whole thing revolved around the DCT. Um, cause the ideal scenario would be, you know, a true sequential. Um, but to do the same thing that we've done with the DCT, it would have been twice or three times the amount of money. Sure. Granted there's, there's pros and cons to both of them. The big, uh, con to ours is size and weight. It's a hundred pounds heavier than a regular ZF where like a SADEV or something is a lot lighter, but you don't have the, the capacity potential for power. And, you know, there's, you can still run a lot of power through them, but you know, you're still playing with fire and they have to be rebuilt. And just mm-hmm. the cost is the big one um, to, to do paddles, unless you get like a really good deal from them. It's just, it was unattainable for, for me to do that. So yeah. it all started around the DCT and then, when I actually, I, I got lucky and I found two of them up here in Denver after looking around for a little while, I found them at just a regular, um, not pick and pull, but like, you know, just any, any, um, junkyard, we can just go get the part and they didn't charge more than a regular transmission for it. They must've wow. gotten what it was. So I got two for like one had 40,000 miles and the guy charged me like $50 more for it. So it was like six fifty for that one and 600 for the other one. Wow. <laughs> Now, and which are these the ones out of the 335 or is it? Yeah. So they're okay. ones out of a uh, three, 135 and ones out of a 335 is the okay. same thing, the short ratio. And I intentionally wanted the short ratio because that's, okay. that's kind of how I've done it. Where like fifth gear is a one-to-one ratio and the same thing with the seven speed, these ones, it's a one-to-one on seventh gear. So it worked out really well. Okay. Where I guess now, one more gear. What I, I want to I want to go back a little bit because like knowing that you've run the peak for this long, I mean, and and knowing what the car is, I mean, it, it might seem obvious to people that like you just want to keep getting bigger and and go faster every year. Yeah. But I want to go back to was it 2019 when you set your fastest time? Uh, 2018, I think. 2018. Yeah. So so your car, I mean, it, it's an E30. It's small. It's light. You've you. You brought in, like, I think in those first few years of, of running the car, you brought in a lot of carbon fiber pieces that you built yourself, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, at this, what what carbon fiber, what pieces of carbon fiber are on the car at this point that you've built? 
Yeah. So we've made every, so every piece of carbon fiber we made in our home garage. Um, I think a lot of people, when I say garage, I don't think people understand that it's like a home garage. Right. Um, you know, like it's, it's your dad's garage, right? So, yeah. So I have to make sure that that's clear because it's not always apparent and it makes it a lot harder to, to do these kinds of things. I don't yeah. really residential garage. Um, it's probably not legally either. I mean, it's a hobby. <laughs> right. There's, probably don't like me very much um or when i come down there but going back to it we the very first thing we made was we made a um <laughs> it's a funny story i could talk to you guys all day so we made a <laughs> gas tank um because we didn't want we didn't have a fuel cell so my buddy came down and we bought this like gnarly like super thick kevlar and we wrapped the fuel tank with it and he rented a vacuum pump from someplace and, you know, we vacuum pumped down the gas tank to just not crazy. But before we went to bed, we decided to turn it up to get like a really good seal and not really thinking about it. He kind of suggested to not do. And I said, no, nah, it'll be fine. And, um, you know, we came out there in the morning and the gas tank was like completely crushed in and it was like impossible. <laughs> it was like hardened and cured super, like you had half the capacity of the gas tank. So we had to go find oh, another no. gas tank start over and we did it without vacuum bagging that one but so that was the first thing we we made and completely messed it up and then after that we made a hood out of fiberglass um and that was the only part of the car that was in fiberglass and that was the actual hood that we had an issue with <laughs> hmm. um all those years later so okay um but the rest of it back in 2013 um that's when I decided to do the doors, the front fenders, um, and then the quarter panels and the trunk lid. And then we made the wing uprights and then both elements of the wing out of carbon fiber and Kevlar and core mat and a couple other materials. So you've, you've, gotten, you've gotten really good at carbon fiber in the last- Good uh, enough. Yeah, good enough. Six to eight wear. years. Yeah. And then, so now it's, so, and then 2014 or 15, we made, uh, cause we used to have a, a splitter that wasn't carbon fiber. And so now the whole under tray, uh, from the splitter to the under tray to the diffuser, that's all carbon. Um, we need, we need to probably redo the diffuser at this point. It's delaminating and all this stuff, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, if you look at it closely, you can still tell that it's wet layup and, you know, if I had more time in a bigger shop, it'd be a lot better if we could do molds and then get proper releases. And then you can make multiple parts and even sell them, but it's mm -hmm. just, you know, it's a whole process. It's, we've gotten good enough at our process of doing wet layup that we can do it pretty quick. Um, and then we know like what epoxy to use, the temperature, how to get it to cure faster. Um, you know, how to make sure it doesn't like poke you to death. There's tricks on, what you can do to make like just taping things down once you're done. So you don't have all these shrapnel pieces that are impossible to like sand uh -huh. off. Um, it's still not very fun working with it. Um, no. as far as the itch factor and all that goes. Sure. <laughs> you cut it and grind it and all that. And I, I, I mean, I don't want to get into like too far into detail, but it's, it, what's crazy to me is that you, you did all the carbon fiber work. You did it all in a, just a garage. Like if you've got a house with a garage, that's the garage that you're working in. And like, with, so what, when you're talking about wet layup, so you have the carbon fiber, which is the sheet of the carbon fiber material, but there's no resin or epoxy or anything in it. And so you're mixing that completely separately and then you're applying it to the fiber once you've got it in yeah. the shape that you want it. 
Yeah. And there's, okay. so there's multiple ways to do it. There's like, um, and a lot of these processes, um, you, there's a couple different ways, but there's resin infusion, which is similar to where you would lay your part out dry on top of whatever your, probably your mold is. And then there's, um, like a special kind of netting, um, slash tube thing that helps you pull the resin from one side of the part to the other with the vacuum bag on top of it. Once you pull the pressure and that's probably the most correct way to do it, um, beyond pre-pregnated, um, epoxy sheets, which are, you know, you buy them and they're in the fridge and it's, it has the perfect amount of resin, a little bit more than you need put into the part. It's perfectly mixed. You're not going to have any weird spots that aren't mixed, um, yada, yada, but it's just way more expensive to oh. do the preg. And you would do the same thing with the pre-preg where you put the part in, then you put a vacuum bag, you put, um, you know, there's parts in between that to help absorb the excess epoxy out. Then you vacuum bag it down and then you try to get it hot or put it in an autoclave if you're really baller, but, mm -hmm. or if you're like us, you just put it on the dry way and get it really hot in the sun with a sketch tent. So, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and the method you're using, it sounds like is you put, you put the carbon fiber material over the piece that you want to replicate. So like over, over a door, over a hood, over a fender. Yep. So that's, so that the actual piece you're trying to replicate is underneath it. You lay the fabric over it. You put the yep. resin exactly. and then you've got something that's basically that's, that's the shape. And then just, yeah. So it's a, yeah, our, our, our methods, like it's all based on positive copy. We've done a, one thing out of a mold, but, um, so the only thing that's like negative about that is you're, you have to just figure out your gaps a little bit. Like say when we did the doors and the fenders, you just, you're slightly larger than the actual part, which is if everything is slightly larger, it doesn't right. really matter. It just makes it just like, you know, the thickness of whatever you put on top of it, it's that much thicker. So, um, it's, you know, it's not exactly ideal, but for doing one-offs, it's not a bad way to go. It just sure. sucks when people like reach out to me. They're like, Hey, I, you know, I, I'm in a pinch. I need to buy a, whatever. Can I, can I buy some of your molds or can I, get a part off your thing and you know some of these people would definitely be willing to pay for it but it's oh just, sure i never really thought about it. i'm like yeah. i'm doing this car it's like that's my hobby you know like i don't think you understand right. like i'm not right. like a shop i like i'm doing this for fun which right uh, it's fun sometimes but right it feels like a, it feels like work but yeah well so and what is the overall weight of your car as it sits right now so for a while i was really proud of it we were a 2400 wet so fully fueled up fully all that jazz. And then we ended up adding, it's still pretty good. We added up uh, 200 pounds of the DCT this year. And then, I don't know, the tunnel is heavier because I chose a thicker, I went 16 gauge when I probably could have done 18 gauge, but I was worried about strength. Um, so it's still pretty good. 26 is not bad, fully fueled up. That's not bad, not bad at all. Um, and what's the power? Uh, 700 and 600 foot pounds. Okay. Wow. That and so, and and was that a was that a constant progression for those first like few years as well? So like just yep. like shaving the weight and and building the power. Totally, yeah. Um, um, I went. It seems like everybody tends, or not everybody, but it seems like a lot of people tend to just like one year they choose to go absolutely berserk and a lot of things go wrong, and that's what right. happened in 2013 for us. Is I bit off way more than I could chew. And it was a good learning lesson because I tried to do, you know, in a month, I did that wide body that I was just talking about with the doors, 
and then a break, big break kit that I did on my own, figuring out all the stuff. And then there was problems with that. And that's why it crashed. Um, and then we did, what else did I do that year? I added more power, bigger tires, a bunch of stuff. And that was a lesson learned of like, for one, because it rained on me and I had bigger slicks of being able to turn the power down when needed, because that was, that was a situation where, you know, I couldn't get any heat in the tires and that was before they kind of forced you to run rain. So I was running bigger slicks in the rain and trying to get any heat off the tire when it's raining at the start line in with a sixes, it just wasn't happening. Right. Uh, and I had no way to turn the power down. So it was just like, I mean, you can modulate with your throttle, but if in the car, my car's not really like laggy, but if you go from just like no grip to just like full spinning and you know, there was, there was no in between. It was just, that was the right. most white knuckle ride I've ever had. I know a lot of guys complained about the weather this year and how shitty it was, but I mean, this last year was definitely the like, or I mean, 2013 was definitely like the craziest time I've ever had up there. And it, it was a lot to do with me doing things incorrectly and not qualifying well. So, and, and so that would have been, that would have been your third year running? Uh, second. Yeah. Second, second year running. Okay. So you, you put the car together, you had a decent result, but I mean, you're just, you're, you're in the middle of the pack yeah. or whatever with the rest of us. And you decided kind of that next year, like, all right, this is the year that I'm going to shoot for yep. the moon. Yeah. And then, and then yes. things, and that, that man, that seems to be like the recipe for Pike's peak. I mean, it, we, we've talked about it before that it seems like there's so many people that show up once mm -hmm. they run it and you never see or, or hear from them again. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is a, it is a hard, hard week. It is. It's like, it's one run is 12 miles. That's the whole race is 12 miles. And you think, it's 12 miles. That's yeah. easy. You could run 12 miles. Well, I mean, it's elevation. Like there are people that run it. I don't know how it doesn't seem like it should be physically possible, but, but they do it. But there's like that war of attrition for that whole week is just massive. And like just the, the exhaustion, the lack of sleep and just the weird stuff that happens. It oh, yeah. seems like as you're, as you're practicing in, in the morning on the mountain and it just, it chases people off. But then some people you get the bug and you decide to go big yeah. But it's like it's so hard to get everything to fall into place for for a myriad of reasons. I mean, mechanical certainly, yeah. but like like this year weather, last year weather. I mean, you just you you never know what you're gonna get, and that just becomes such a challenge. Yeah, yeah, and then like this year too, to add on top of the problems, is the supply chain problems. You know, yeah. that was like, yeah, and me the biggest I think. And I, and I knew that it was going to be a problem and it still ended up screwing me. That's part of going back to what we were talking about earlier. The biggest crux for my whole thing was I didn't have the adapter plate and the flywheel. Um, so I couldn't actually bolt like properly bolt the engine and the transmission together until mm. March 29th or something like that. And I had that hole cut out for months and it was just a big gaping. Right. Thing. And I'm like, did I just ruin this car that I have like, you know, it was really well, you know, like I didn't have to do like the year prior, I didn't have to do anything to the car besides change those transmissions. Like, you know, it was fast, it's reliable. Like I know the car really well. And then, so right. after changing this car and having this big thing sitting in the middle of the car, I was just like, God, I really hope this comes together and I hope it works out. Cause there was a lot of unknowns of, you know, everybody right. else, the same thing. Like I, 
I have some crude tools to make sure that everything was going to work and it did end up working, but you know, there was still a lot of unknowns. Like when I first time I got a a dyno, I was like, I was asking the guy that was in there, like, how does the vibration feel? Does it feel, you know, normal? Does it feel any worse? Cause I, you know, I tried to, I got like a laser tool. I got a bunch of things to try to line things up. Right. You know, you can be off access a tiny bit, but I didn't want to like, you know, destroy our thousand dollar drive shaft or whatever it may be. You know, there's right. <laughs> a lot of things barely just worked out. Yeah. Well, what was the, uh, your first practice date this year was in La Junta, right? Yeah. So the big crux, I, I set, I wanted to try to do the, uh, the first practice days for Pikes Peak. And I think that was the week before the sixth. So I don't know if that yeah. would be the weekend of this, of the first. And, um, I might've been able to get the car, at least on the dyno on the first, that was when it was originally scheduled it was her 31st of May, I believe. But, um, me scheduling it so early in advance, I didn't realize that that was Memorial day and oh. like, Oh shit, we're closed that day. So we gotta, uh, we're gonna do it the next week. And that totally boned me. Cause it was like, I was supposed to be dynoing that day. And then on the peak, you know, that weekend or whatever, and you know that was a, a minor heart heart attack uh learning that news but they were cool letting me move um because it was early enough that i found out that they let me uh do the pikes peak thing then the week after oh. um and so we got the car dynoed on the sixth and then we uh practiced for the first time on the ninth and then the first that was on lahana and that was a pretty successful test but it was very uh <laughs> We did some dumb things. Um, so there's one thing we did that was so dumb. I, I don't even want to tell you guys, but um, <laughs> you don't have to, but please yeah, do. It was a very, it was a, well, I'll tell you cause I didn't do it, but <laughs> I hope my dad did <laughs> this, but we, you know, sleep deprivation was already kicking in and he ended up putting a uh, brake pad in backwards. Oh so yeah. <laughs> metal on metal. Um, oh. And I didn't notice cause it's, it was in the rear and it, we ended up just, I flipped it back and then just kind of re uh, bedded it, bedded it. Yeah. Um, it, but it was very embarrassing and very like, Oh God damn it. It would just ruin another, whatever, $300, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but that's just, that's one of those things with, with it's a, it's one event. It's one week out of the year. You've got 51 weeks out of the 52 weeks of a year to get ready for the race. Yep. And the problem is you need 56. Totally. Yeah. It, no, it's I kept, like, telling, I kept tell, telling people, they ask me, how's it going? I was like, Oh, it's pretty good. You know, I'm trying to do, you know, six months of work every month to get the right. thing because it's, it's what you have to do. I mean, there were so many days where it's just like 14 hour days, yeah. 16 hour days. And just like you start, you can only work so long to where you're actually effective the next day, you know, doing things. Right. Um, and and, and especially like, long-term like day oh, after day after day. Like so, how many, how many 16 hour days can you do in a, in a row oh. before it's like, you now have to take a week off to just get back to being a, a, a human again. And then you can actually get the brain back in line. Yeah. I mean, it, we got, I got very lucky because I, I mean, I, I set the goal that if I didn't get those three things done, if I didn't get two test days and then that, you know, the dyno on the sixth done and then the, you know, the ninth and then the 12th, if I didn't get that done, I was going to pull out for the year because I just, I knew the car was that much different. And, mm. you know, that was what happened in 2013 is I didn't have enough track time and right. I was basically driving the thing hard for the first time in qualifying. Cause I think we had to qualify day one or day two. And I was driving through a problem that I didn't realize um, that the brake, 
you know, I was losing brakes. Basically there were a couple of things contributed to it, but I was running out of pedal travel and I thought it was a heat problem. And I thought it was something to do with my brake coolers and it ended up basically going off without being able to like fully lock it up. So it was just came to a corner and I was just like fully down on the pedal and nothing was happening. <laughs> like car wow. was like kind of coming to a stop still going yeah. 40 miles an hour. So I, Oof. I made that decision that if I didn't, if I didn't get a few of those, you know, major milestones done this year that I was going to pull out. Cause there was just, there was too much money invested that year already up into that point. And I just, yeah. you know, didn't, I really didn't want to do it, but it all kind of worked out and barely got everything done. And we didn't have any major problems besides just, you know, a couple stupid things. And, you know, it was a, it was a challenge because on that, that first day in track day in Lahana with the DCT, the way you do it is you have to, you basically have to tune the transmission. Um, right. It has to be done remotely. So <laughs> we're down in Lahana and we have like a laptop strapped in the side of the car. And I have, you know, hotspotting to that phone or to that laptop with my phone. I've got, you know, noise canceling headphones on and I'm driving around the track in a super loud fucking car trying to like, you know, yeah, how, how's that? You know, you'd have to stop every time and, and tell the guy, oh, it's good or it's bad or it's, it's flaring in between shifts or whatever. All right, now hold on. So you're saying that's how you tuned the DCT. So you were at La Junta. Yeah. You've got a laptop and your phone and a hotspot and headphones, and you're doing laps as the guy is like through the yeah. ether, logged into your car, trying to reflash the DCT. Exactly. exactly. You can do it Perfect. on the dyno. Yeah, you can do it on the dyno, but we, we talked about both methods, and it, he prefers to do it like just on a street or on whatever on a track you, yeah because yeah, you you can you don't have the drag back of a dyno you don't have that momentum right uh, different as far as when you're actually tuning the car and so it worked out it was a little bit of a struggle because the service in lahana is not that great um it was just i would imagine yeah to, to, i was worried about it and you know certain sections of the track we found out are better than others because if you're really close to the airport they have something that kind of like overrides the signal but if you get a little bit further away it's fine so i try to spend more time on the back side of the track if i would have wow. known i probably would have gone to pueblo or ppir or something but they just it's just more expensive to go to those sure um, wow that's incredible yeah. and and I, I i've been kind of alluding to it or trying to get there but i want to what i want to say is like so 2018 mm-hmm. so you've, you've refined this car and gotten it to the point that it was in 2018 and that was your best year this year I, I don't know if it was you or one of your sponsors that put together this video that was kind of like, I'll call it a highlight reel of what you've done, but you, you've you had a lot of success. So it's like we've talked about kind of like the, the difficulty with the car and getting it ready, but you've had a lot of success once you, I mean, once you put the package together and started running up the mountain. Yeah. But then like in 2018, if that was your fastest time, what is your, what is your fastest time up the mountain? Uh, 9.59 something. So just under 10. But yeah. And, and the incredible point that this video made is that you're one of only 27 people that have ever gotten into the nines. Yeah. And this, we, this year was the hundredth running. Nobody got into the nines this year for all the obvious reasons. So that, I mean, you, you know that a 959 is a super fast time up this mountain. I, I mean, but I, I just had no context that that it, it that was such a rare feet for anybody to that, be able to make it that few i mean honestly tim that watching your video kind of brought a tear to my eye that whole like homegrown like i i don't have money i uh, me and my dad do this shit in our garage 
this is this is how we do it and yeah to actually be one of one of 27 very people. few yeah yeah i was yeah and, and he asked me that question too it's it was a good buddy that that was the guy who directed the henry ford thing and he ended up coming back with his own product and that they did that video and the same thing yeah it was definitely like a very emotional the first time i watched it it was like I had both that wave of like, Oh my God, this is awesome. It's a little bit hard hearing yourself talk, you know, you got to get over that, but it was, it was a thrill ride just watching it. And then the back end of it was like a pump up video to get, you know, like it just, as soon as I got done watching that, I was like, Oh my God, I need to get in the car and race right now. You know, like that's <laughs> yeah. the kind of thing I would watch that back end of that and be like, okay, this is why we we're doing this thing. Cause you know, there's so many low points when you're building the car and getting everything ready. And it's yeah, the, the success takes a lot ahead of time to get there, especially when oh, you yeah. do a lot of the stuff yourself. And, you know, I get it no matter what you're doing, it's everybody seems to go, you know, too ambitious. My ambition level this year was probably way too high, you know, and there's still never, uh, never, don't, don't, don't even say that. Well, there's still your passion, things so, on my list that I didn't so you, do. You keep doing it and you keep killing yourself because you know, it's, <clears throat> that 959 is going to fall eventually. Oh yeah. Right. You know, oh, yeah. you, I mean, you keep doing this shit because you love it and you want those times to drop. And I mean, it's, it's passion. It is. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's an addiction really. Yeah. yeah. It's a good it, addiction. <laughs> so was it when, how surprised were you when you did the 959? How surprised, or were you surprised when you found out that you actually got into the nines? I was, yeah. I mean, I, I knew that I was going to get close because I think the year prior I was like 10 oh nine or something. Yeah, it's like just that. just over 10, yeah. And we did the math on the, you know, the sector times. And I never really push fully in practice days, which I probably need to start doing that a little bit more to get more comfortable speed in the other sections. But I just kind of knew that it was going to be right there. Um, and then when I saw the time, like, I think the biggest shock I had that it was just barely under 10, but it still counts, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's, yep. not many people, like you said, like whatever, 25 or 27, it's, you know, it's, uh, that's crazy. It's pretty awesome to be one of those guys and to be one of those guys. That's like, there's not many of them that are doing it out of their home garage too. To right. Well, and and the cars, home. the other cars that have done that are, I mean, some of the almost, money behind almost factory efforts. Are, <laughs> you know, yeah. Most of those cars have most of the money backing them. Yeah. You, you know, and, and like, so, so to take this little homegrown E30 and to be in that, that same club is, is pretty badass. That's awesome. And, and especially just figuring out all of these crazy configurations and solutions to, to take this chassis and develop it yeah. to that point is just, that's amazing. It's definitely, it's definitely an accomplishment. It's been, yeah. it's all, it's the amount of work and like blood, sweat and tears and just passion and, you know, crazy nights and arguments and sure. <laughs> it, it takes a whole lot to get there. And, you know, yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that when they're, you know, watching the run on YouTube or whatever it is, it's just, you know, it's, it's hard to really connect with that person or, or unless you go and talk to somebody at FanFest or whatever, you don't really know the backstory unless you. Yeah. You know, and, and even then a lot of the fans just don't understand that the week, what the, what the layout of the week is. Yeah. 
you know, like I was talking to one guy was trying to schedule a meeting, like, oh, we're testing on Pike's Peak. Oh, you're, you're like explained the race. Like, okay. And so then the next week comes up, he's like, all right, so you're free now. I'm like, that was just testing. We're testing <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. So the race is over. And then the next week is like, well, let's schedule a meeting. Like, no, that's actually the race week. It's like, yeah. what kind of race is this? Both the entire yeah. week. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's definitely, yeah, it's not. I don't it's not think there's anything. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's anything else that I would take off two months of work for to do, you know, like, <laughs> right. Not only lose all my money and not make any money. Like, I don't right. know. It's, well, and it, it's yeah. what I, what I have to ask is, I mean, obviously, you know, this platform, like, I mean, it's probably your platform, like the BMW should rename the E30, the, the Tim Hardy, Maybe. but, or, but is is it that you knew that there's still like the there's potential there there there's still there was still time that you were missing and was was it that you you knew what the success of the formula that you had in 2018 was but you knew what the deficiencies were too is that kind of how you planned out what you were trying to do for for this year yeah i mean so i think i briefly touched on this but i never really fully uh, completed the thought but it all revolved around the DCT and just knowing that that was going to be faster. Um, okay. And that it wouldn't break, hopefully, you know? Right. Uh, we, I nuked the transmission temperature this year. I'll have to tell you about that. But um, oh. we got up to like 140 C. So it was on a cold day. So we got to rethink cooling. But um, basically, we, I went through and counted the shifts. And then I counted the time that my shifts take and then just realized that you know, even if I had, you know, 20% more shifts with that extra gear, and I don't even think it's that high, but it would be significantly faster because it was, it was well over 50 upshifts and 50 downshifts. Um, mm -hmm. And each one of those, my fastest, I think my fastest upshift was like just around a half second. And my fastest downshift was like 0.6 seconds. Okay. Um, and so just doing like rough math, I was, I've said, well, if I can, I can save, you know, a 10th of a second, so 0.1 seconds on each one of these shifts that, that saves 10 seconds right there. Um, right. And then looking at all the other things that we could do with um, having the DCT, we'd have a stronger drive shaft, we'd have stronger, you know, that was the weak link is somewhere in between the transmission or from the back of the engine to the diff was, I knew the weak link was in there. And mm. we found out that the weak link was a transmission itself. We were I was running a, a stock two-piece E30 drive shaft with, you know, 650 to the wheels and slick tires and it never broke. But hmm. so we know that that, <laughs> that held up just fine, but the transmission was the weak link. Um, and so I knew that if I could get that stuff all sorted, that the weak link would probably become the diff or our CVs again. And I figured oh, we're not going to get near it at 700 horsepower. I might start, you know, if we get up to like, 800 horsepower 700 horsepower we might start worrying about what's going to break next but basically starting with that dct i knew that that was going to be a time saver with that and then i can mod everything around that and have bigger yeah. slicks in the rear um so you know there's less likely for just a major failure to happen um so i knew there was time in there from just that perspective and i couldn't get the car any lighter that was a big thing that I was trying to do in the previous years is just get the car as light as I could just add lightness, but, you know, beyond making the thing too frame or like really cutting out stuff in the back, I don't think we could have got it much lighter than, right. what, it, than what it was. Um, and it's, it's also one of those things where it's like, 
when do you stop and when do you start a whole nother car? Cause this year is pretty sure. right. getting to that point of like, should I just make a two frame thing? But hmm. on the other side of the token is that car, even though this was the closest thing that'll probably ever come to a full rebuild on this car, it still is like, I still know it really well. There's still so much work that has gone into this car. That's like, you don't really think about until you think about just even the rebuild process of all the time and effort you spent on that one little thing or whatever it is that it would take you that much longer to get set up on a two frame car, like how you line all the body panels up and all that. I mean, there's so much work that goes into that. Um, and then, you know, it also makes you think like, God, I should have bought like a Wolf or some other chassis that's <laughs> for racing and then sure. spend all my money that I'm spending on, a, you know, 80s car. <laughs> right. It's, 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 it's a not your budget race. spent on it, like with one stroke of the signature, but totally. yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a waste <clears throat> a lot and thought about a lot this last year, especially mm. when it like. You know, I thought about it so much when I started cutting into the car. Like, <laughs> sure. It's like I spent so much money on this car and I don't, I did, I was just worried like, God, am I going to, I tried to do everything I could to make sure it didn't, uh, you know, get out of alignment or something got tweaked when I was cutting that much out of the car and nothing moved, but it was just like all these fears go through your head of what, what can happen yeah. when it go wrong. Um, and, you know, nothing nothing really went wrong and it all kind of worked out. And I think, you know, I prepare and figure out a lot of things ahead of time, but still there's a lot of luck involved. And I try to ask people that are a lot smarter than me, a lot smarter than I am about certain problems that I have no idea. And, you know, you get good feedback about what you're doing or if it's in the right wheelhouse, but yeah, a lot of it came down to just like the fact that it worked and, you know, didn't have any major issues. So this year, yeah. yeah, this year was extra hard on just the week because we, I normally have probably six guys or maybe even more. Um, and I think it was the Thursday before race week. One of my main guys couldn't get time off from work. He thought he could and something happened. And then the Monday of, uh, you know, we were doing tech inspection another guy said oh i've got covid so i was down oh, no. to one guy uh one main guy for race week and my dad oh my and gosh it was like you know it was a whole lot to ask from both of those from my dad and uh that other guy brad because it was just like you know as soon as as soon as i found out that skylar had covid it was just like oh yeah we're <laughs> We're screwed you know it's just like one right. more thing on the pile of like how i got how am i going to figure this situation out and we called around and found you know a, a couple guys to help out but still it was, a, it was definitely a it was more stressful than it should have been for you know situations like that it's just pike's peak throws whatever at you and you have to be right. ready for whatever right and, you know, that's a crew situation there's yep. you know there's all kinds of stuff that can go wrong so well and and then and of course people now would know that the weather of course like it, it was all it basically it was gr- a great week and then the weather just yeah. completely took this turn at the end and so it's like well yeah I mean, everybody made it to the top i mean in in, in crazy conditions yeah. so i mean really it's like just the fact that there was as as few issues as there was is, is a tribute really to all the drivers in, in the yeah. entire race that it just it it, it stayed together for the for yeah. most part and everybody got to the top and yeah that, so that's incredibly lucky i mean i mean it sucked but it was also like you said it was you looked at the weather and it was 
a whole week of 85 degree high. Just and then beautiful. The worst. Perfect weather. Day on Sunday. You know? And then yeah. 85 for the next week, right after that, like the next day I went up and I was like sweating. I was like super hot up in Denver. I'm like, what yeah. is this all about? This is crazy. I, I tell you that mountain has a personality. It has moods. Oh, yeah. it, that's, that's the only way you can explain it. That it's just like, so something it's not happy with something and it's going to take it out on this year. And apparently like just Sunday was, was that day and it just fog and rain and you name it. And the next day, nah, I'm okay. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, looking forward, I mean, cause you, you, you now have a sense of the car, the car is together. It's running. Yeah. Are, are you, are you happy with it? Like, it, are you, do you, are you, are you realizing the benefits of it? Oh yeah. I mean, the, the DCT was, you know, a big part of this thing is I went through and I watched a lot of the uh, in-car videos from people that are faster than me. I watched Reese's videos. I watched, you know, a slew of people's videos. Like one thing I learned from James is just to get a proper steering ratio. James Clay, in world, we were, I was just watching his hands. Yeah. And when you have paddles, um, you know, if you can get it to where you go through the hairpins and you're just locked to lock, you know, that's mm -hmm. a huge benefit because you never have to take your hands off the wheel. Um, like just having that control down to where I have that situation now where it's just, you just have paddles to deal with. You have one less pedal, you know, it sounds a little lazy or whatever, but when you're in the car and you have a manual transmission and you're trying to go under 10, it's like, you're in a fight trying to get to the top, like mm -hmm. sweating like crazy by the time you get to the top. And there's so many more things to think about. You have to think about left foot braking a lot more. You still kind of have to think about, you know, a million things, but I would get done at qualifying or like on this scenario, it was, you know, the weather was crazy and I got to the top and I wasn't like completely full of sweat like yeah. I normally am. So just the confidence that you get from the driver control and figuring out that, I think that that is something I learned this year of trying to trying to dial that in a little bit better. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, I've only scratched the surface on some of that because I haven't had that much seat time. Um, so I think, you know, there's a, there's a long list of things that I've already made. Some of them are easy and some of them aren't easy. Um, and a lot of it revolves around just things I saw, like we had, a I had a photographer, uh, buddy show that was shooting for us. Um, I went, uh, in the morning on the, one of the middle sections and you know I went first and then James Clay went directly behind me and you come see me come through and you see a nice trail of you know dust being sucked up and yeah it looks pretty cool it's a really good shot and then you see James come through and it's like a 45 foot you know vortex like perfect spirals coming off his arrow and it's just like you know that was an eye-opening thing yeah. where you know he in theory I would have cleared the track off even a little bit more for him because I went first and his just arrow was visually working that much better than mine so I know well, there's a lot to so, be somebody spent like way too damn much money on the arrow on that car I mean oh, yeah. it's it, you know like little homegrown arrow compared to like looking at that car I spent I probably spent an hour just looking at that car yeah. um it is it, it is a piece of work that's yeah. for sure so definitely, like it's definitely figured out better. So, you know, I know that I'm not going to be able to get to that level, but I, cause it's goes back to the time or money thing. Um, but I like, that's one thing I've never even had the car like scanned and I've never had it in CFD. So I would like to do that like as a base marker and then see, 
what can I do to improve it? And we've already talked, you know, I've been talking to a few people, just what can I do to help, you know, just without spending a ton of money. That's the thing is because I can make the carbon stuff relatively inexpensive. If I'm doing it myself, it's just like figuring out how to do it properly and making sure that doesn't cost a ton of money. You know, you can spend as much or as little as you want. <laughs> just, yeah. uh, it, it depends on, you know, the goals, but that, that would be something I'd like to try to do is, is work on the arrow a little bit more now, even though I know it works and see to the pants, it feels good, but I know that there's more there that can give me more confidence to go quicker. And, you know, sure. some of these higher speed corners and just being planted overall better would, you know, it's, so, you know, it's easier said than done for sure. sure. Redoing the whole like under tray was, you know, will be a massive challenge. Like each one of the big parts is a hard thing to make, but it's, it's something I, I enjoy. It's, it's fun making those pieces when they come out and everything works, you know, it's like, it's a little bit stressful because you're, when you're doing a big piece, you're working with like large swaths of carbon fiber and it's only getting right. more and more expensive as, as time goes on. Sure. <laughs> and it's easy to mess up a big part too. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty darn happy with a car really like it performed. That's the thing is like, I try to put as much work into the car ahead of time to make sure that it, re that it runs relatively reliable and that everything that's changed on the car, you know, you think about like, you know, you do one thing and it can affect four other things on the car and how it can impact, impact those things negatively. It's, you know, you have to think a little bit like an engineer and I'm not an engineer, but I'm just trying to, you know, well, you're, you're, you're learning, can. you're moving in that direction for sure. I should have, I should have started in that degree <laughs> right? <laughs> on at school for it, but right. Um, well, I mean, uh, it's, you... it's, it's fruitful for sure. When it all yeah. lines up and it works and you, and you do well, it's, it's, it's definitely yeah. have an accomplishment. It's more, it's, it takes a little while for it to soak in for me. It's more of kind of like, Oh God, the week's finally done. You know, sure. like it's, you start living it better in hindsight for sure. Looking sure. back pictures and all that. I'm sure you guys are the same way. The sleep deprivation doesn't make it easy. <laughs> no, no. Well, and it, do you, I mean, for next year, if you did nothing but work out any of the, any of the small issues with the car and just drive the car and test the car more. Yeah. I mean, do you think, I, I would guess with the big jump that you made for 2022, that if you run that, that exact same car with, with just that extra seat time, extra development and, and refinement, that i mean that would is that what you're planning for next year or or do you have something else in mind uh it depends i'm still putting together a couple of game plans there's there's things that i need to or a few things that i like have to change but they're not like major um just some things that are going to take a little bit of time uh, but definitely the car is faster um like i found out from qualifying and this is a big this is the thing you know like we had we were shorthanded the whole time and the car felt really fast and I didn't really think too much about it to look into the logs all that hard and look into the data. But I, you know, I had changed up the wastegates from two 44s to one 66 and somewhere along the lines of doing that, um, the, the old boost control settings, the electronic wastegate was different. So when I wasn't getting the same power, when I thought I was getting full power, I wasn't, um, and that was something we were dealing with on the dyno. We just found a workaround. And so long story short, ended up beating our qualifying time by four seconds. And I was 
five PSI down on boost. So wow. we were, instead of 19 pounds of boost or close to 20, we were about 14 pounds of boost. Huh. So in order to go, you know, like it's just seat of the pants, who knows how fast you're actually going to get with five more pounds of boost. That's probably another right. hundred power. But if I can go, you know, four seconds faster with less power than I've ever gone, like, you know, the car you, felt really, really You did something right. So yeah. I think there's, yeah, I think, you know, that was a 406 and I'm guessing I could feel. So the other problem with that run is um, it felt really good, but the top three quarters of that run, again, not having enough crew, not thinking about it. We, we actually had more crew that day because it was qualifying and I got a couple of buddies to come, but including me, but nobody remembered to put fuel in the car the entire day <laughs> with the E98, you know, it, it churns through fuel pretty quickly. And so I've never run out of gas on Pike's peak until on the way down from qualifying. Cause it was oh, wow. I've hydromats and it, it was cutting out not badly, but definitely enough to where there was probably another half second in that run. So that would be a four Oh five because I think it was a low four Oh six. And then, you know, add a, add that extra hundred horsepower back in. And there's other things we need to do with sway bar. Cause I'm getting, you know, understeer at high speed exit corners um, huh. and a few other things that needed that as I tried to get to this year and never got to it um, prior to Pike's peak. And I didn't want to start messing with it while I was on Pike's peak and starting to get a feel for the car. But if we change up a few things like that, I think, you know, there's, there's definitely a few more seconds in there. So the goal would be, to, I know there's not that many people that have gone under four in qualifying. So that would be, that would be a pretty big goal to get to. So we're six seconds away from it. And I think that's, I think that's achievable with more power and more setup. Um, that you second. already have you just get all those pieces of the puzzle to align you're already yeah. probably there yeah and so if and, i run and don't mess up which for, <laughs> well for comparison like scott went 11 seconds faster in qualifying this year and yeah. put down a 420 yeah so like we, we were like over the moon the sure. fact that scott put down a 420 and, and you're yeah. 14 seconds faster than that so i mean that it is that is a huge accomplishment, you know, to, to knock another six seconds off there. I, I think, yeah. I mean, refinement, you know, yeah, a little yeah. more power, maybe a little more down course. Yeah. A little bit more cojones. I think every yeah, second, right. Down, yeah. It's, it's once you get closer and closer, I think a lot of people start, start maxing out about that 350 or in the 355 to four range. Sure. I don't know how much this, how much more the car has, cause I'm still on, you know, stock rear semi-trailing arms on the car that are just beefed up a little bit. Um, there's a lot that can be desired or a lot, a lot of things that can be changed anyways, that now that we got pushed into Pikes Peak open, it's just how much do I want to tackle and how uh -huh. much do I know how to tackle? So it's just tough to compete with <laughs> the guys that do know how to do those things and set All up, right. you know, start with a two brim car or something that's fully set up correctly. Like I, I built that car specifically for time attack. And then okay, yeah. got pulled to where I, the car was not turbocharged. I'm not even really sure why they. Okay. So let me, let me explain. Th this is, this is a big thing, but people that are not like up on Pike's peak won't know this. So, yeah. so time, so there, there was originally, or for, for most of the time that we've been running, there was two time attack classes, time attack one and time attack two. Time attack two was basically a stock car that had a cage put in it. And, and, 
I somebody had told me this. I don't know where I heard this, but something. The idea behind it was it was a class. The idea was for for manufacturers. If the manufacturer wanted to take a stock car and run it up Pikes Peak just to showcase what it could do, that's what the Time Attack Two class was supposed to be for. Then Time Attack One was more open, but it was it was like it was that it was that in between like the open class where you can kind of do anything that you want. This is still production car based. You know, you do a lot of stuff, but it, it wasn't completely open. But yeah. You know, and then and that was that was the way it ran for a long time and then i think it was was it two years ago when they brought in the they they removed time attack 2 and then they brought in the the gt4 spec class for porsche yeah that's when they realized well so now that the stock class is gone we it was something something to the effect that they wanted to really make sure that the time attack cars time attack one cars were close closer to production not a, not a, just a totally stock production car but it was closer to production so yeah. if the car wasn't forced induction you couldn't add forced induction and stay in that class you were on, on, automatically booted to open or unlimited yeah you, you had to pick and so what that meant is that there was probably like 10 of you guys in that in in the time attack one class that had very competitive cars in this time attack one class that now got moved over to open yeah, that are competing with all these open class cars that were built like tube chassis. Like, so when you're talking about tube chassis, that's a lot of what was in open to begin with for the, for the longest time. Cause it was like, we're just going to build an open class race car, no holds barred, like these giant oh. wings and, oh, yeah. and stuff. And, and, and now with those changes, now you get moved from time attack and now you're competing with those guys. Yeah. It was definitely a little bit of a low blow. Like, you know, I'm, it definitely didn't benefit me. Um, <laughs> well, seemingly not, seemingly not. But this Tim, makes... you're on the podium again this year. Yeah, there's a little bit of luck involved with that, a little bit of well. just crazy <laughs> brazen driving. But right. um, I mean, yeah, and just the weather, you know. And... Sure, it, it's it makes it makes the it makes the race problem. challenging oh, for yeah. sure because it's like you, now you have a car that's not exactly it doesn't fit in the class. And, and that it doesn't really fit into either class. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's part of another reason that it had spawned off the whole DCT and moving the engine back, you know, because that's okay. always something I'd wanted to do because, and you just can't, you couldn't have done that in time attack. Right. Um, which, you know, I, you know, it was, that was a very hard decision as to whether or not I was going to actually do all that and move the thing back. And it, it worked out, but it's, it's still, the car is probably still not, um, there's still more that could be done to take advantage of what you can do in Pikes Peak Open because there's so much you can do. I mean, if you look at the rule book and if you look at the gray lines or, you know, the, the stuff that's not actually written, like you basically can make Pikes Peak Open, a Pikes Peak Open car as crazy as any unlimited car you want. Like take right. Hunicorn, for example. It's like your biggest limitation is, you know, the car has to, it has to be based off a car um, that, just any car that's ever existed, which is mm -hmm. whatever, you know, most people aren't going to make a car. I mean, unless you're like Volkswagen with IDR thing, but right. it's easy to make the car look like whatever other car you want. And then the other big limitation is 1800 pound minimum, which most cars are heavier than that anyways. And then the next thing is, um, you know, your wing can't be wider than the width of the wide body, but that just means like, look at the Hunicorn, the freaking fenders on the Hunicorn are like a foot and a half. Like you can right. make the car 30 feet long and then you have a 29 foot wing and then, or wide, and then you're, yeah. so it's, it's just, really fun. it's a little bit of like, I don't know. It's, 
I think there needs to be more distinction. I, w- I would have loved time attack to have gone instead of what they did. I would have loved it to go more like what everybody else knows time attack. You look at like the super lap battle or, yeah. you know, global time attack, like that is time attack. That's what uh-huh. everybody knows time attack as. Right. Um, and then you do, you know, Pikes Peak open can stay what it is, or could be something right. in between. Um, you know, I don't know how many, how many classes they really need to separate it, but right now it's like kind of you have your time attack cars and then you have the unlimited things which i consider pikes peak open it's pretty much unlimited it's just yeah. like you have a chance of, somebody has a chance of getting down to the 923 or whatever it's a lot more obtainable than what the idr said so i think that's why people are entering in pikes peak open is just because it's a record thing um right i don't know that's it is what it is on that. I don't, yeah. I don't, yeah. they're, they're changing the rules, not for the little guys. They're changing it for the big yeah. guys or whoever. I'm yeah. not entirely sure how a rule change comes about. I've, they never have asked to my knowledge, any of the competitors. So I think it's just whatever they decide in the board meeting or whatever. That's, that is and a it, black it, box it that yeah. for, <laughs> I don't think any is. of the competitors are ever going to see yeah. into. Yeah. yeah. Which but, it just sucks when you build a car specifically for that class and they tear it out underneath you and they don't they don't ask yeah. you oh, sorry whatever well well so you mentioned this and i was going to ask you this and you brought it up so i'm going to i'm going to ask have you looked at doing anything else with the car like super lap battle like global time attack i would like to um the problem comes down to like the support and just the cost of the thing because it's you know being just having done pike's peak you know say if it was six months from now i'd be like oh yeah yeah i could do that but just the amount of effort it takes to get the thing out of the garage and like you know just get it onto a trailer right. and get everything started and you know we run ethanol right. so we clean the tank it's just like there's so much to it just to get the thing like going to a destination <laughs> like not even right. like you know even to get to a dyno or whatever it is um that's that's the challenge i think for me and and the support i think it probably would benefit me to do that to get more seat time and to help the sponsorship thing because that's a that's a struggle is you know trying to get sponsorship and like i'm upfront about like it's the only race the thing does Um, right right other cars do that and they don't have a problem but they have big names behind them so well it's it's you you have to be at the very pointy end of a class to be able to really get that kind of support or just just find that sponsor that is really keyed into what Pikes Peak is enough to participate in that way. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, it's tough because of the scheduling and then like, I just about almost every year, just about kill myself getting to the race and getting the thing done. And then the right. last thing I have to do is like get it out immediately. And then b- before you know it, it's like, it's October, you know, it's Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. every year it's hard to, to think about it. And then by then you're starting to figure out like, Oh, what do you want to do on the car or whatever? Cause you have to do it early and yeah, inevitably you're doing way too much on the car and procrastinating. I don't well, know. So, so super lap battle at circuit of the Americas is in February or the, this year it's going to be it's the beginning of March. Next year's March. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's a, it's a perfect time to go shake the car down, get it and- ready for Pike's peak. And I mean, we we pretty much talked you through this, Tim. I mean, you really, it's just like we're finding some of the small details and driving the car. Yeah. I mean, I do need the seat time. Cir- it's Circuit of the Americas. It's a big track. So if something goes wrong, you got a lot of runoff. Yeah. It's a high speed track. So you can test the arrow out. 
you got plenty of time to get ready for it. Probably a break all the arrow. I don't know if the car has ever gone over like 150, so <laughs> I trust well, my wing that much. And it's and it's you know like close to sea level versus you know nine, ten, fourteen thousand feet. That's true. Yeah, a lot, lot more stress on the arrow. It definitely adds, yeah, it adds a whole other dimension. You know, like I maybe I maybe I wouldn't have luck down low. I've I have thought about that, like. How would the car react down there? How would the, you know, I mean, maybe it would be fine, but you always you, worry about, I mean, the lowest you, I've ever gone down to is Lahana, which is 4,500 feet or whatever. Okay. So it's never left the state. Um, have you ever, have you ever, ever driven at Pueblo or High Plains with the car? Pueblo and, uh, no, Pueblo, PPIR and Lahana. I've never taken okay. the thing up to High Plains just because okay. it lives in the Springs and it's, it's just so much easier to get track days down here. Sure. So, right. Sure. I mean, um, if it if it's okay at four thousand feet, it might be okay at two thousand feet. Maybe, yeah, yeah. It's it's there's there's big there's things about it that make sense, but then there's things about it that are tough too. Like mm -hmm. getting the seat time is super big, but then the seat time, if it's considerably different than what Pikes Peak is, like to me, I'm sure that that's still good. But you got to start thinking about like tire choices and the cost of tires. You know, like the the Yokos we were running this year were, you know, a rear tire is $750 and a front is 750 So it's like, <laughs> that wow. is a huge chunk of change to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you're only, I mean, I guess you could burn up a set in one day and it's fine or just not go with the craziest slicks ever. But then you start yeah. like, you start running that like, well, what do you get used to? Do you get used to the slicks? You like, I, you know, I ran the rain tires and granted a lot of the track for Pikes Peak was on uh, uh, dry. So running wets on dry are terrible, but it felt like I was even on the sections that were wet. It felt like racing in dirt this year compared to <laughs> going the slick. So, I mean, it's, I guess, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough call. I don't know. And then you wonder about the power level too, if you, if it's good or bad to, to get used to the car with more power and then you take it up to Pikes Peak and there's a little bit less power. I don't know. I've, well, I've thought, I've thought about it a lot, just yeah. like taking the car out, but then it always comes back to the cost of getting the thing out there. And, right. Co you know, cost of consumables, barrel, cost of travel. Yeah. Barrel ethanol and all that jazz. And I think a bigger one really is the support network. I don't know if I can, I can definitely convince all the most of the time I can convince these guys to come out and take a week out of their schedule. Cause I don't, all of my guys are all volunteer. I don't pay anybody to come out. They all do it for supposedly it's fun for them, but right. Uh, right. <laughs> when you get up at two in the morning and you're right. sleep deprived beyond no means you got 14 yep. cups of coffee in you, but yep. um, <laughs> so trying to convince those guys to come out and help again, like, you know, we've kind of talked about it. And it kind of never ends up happening. I think what I'd like to do, what what I tried to do um, last year for him, because I knew I was going to tear the car down. I knew I was going to do this big rebuild process. I wanted to get everybody in the car and let them all drive it around. And it's like, yeah, we blow up another transmission. Well, who cares? Whatever. What right. Today? Like, let everybody take it out. And we never, I got way too busy in the time I wanted to do it in September. And it just never ended up happening, unfortunately. But yeah. that would probably be a good thing to do because then I could, coerce them to actually come out and then you know they i, right. I help while they're there and then we're just using used tires or whatever it yeah. is it, it still would be expensive but you know be a lot easier to to do it if i had the help and it it's a valid point especially like 
I mean, it, it's it's easy even talking about it and starting to think about it to forget that you're just you're just a guy that has a car. You're not a you're not a team. You don't have this right. infrastructure. Yeah. We we ran into the we we went to Super Live Battle this year for the first time, and that was the first time. I mean, we we've done rallies with the rally car that were distant. Yeah. But it's it's so close to a stock car, things break. You're, there's nothing that you're really going to be scrambling to try and find. Sure. There's nothing. There's no real big curveballs for the most part. Yeah. With that, if if you run into an issue, but like. Our Pikes Peak car is different enough that there are some curveballs, and we were, you know, 17 hours away from any shop, and we were just like, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of the stuff that we would have needed if we wanted to, like, we tear down the engine and replace the head gaskets. We didn't have an sure. engine hoist, we didn't have an engine stand. Maybe could have found them, but just didn't have like so many of the little things that you're used to when you're when you're working at your shop. And it's like, yeah, it's for privateer traveling that far from your home base i mean that that can be a really big deal yeah and not having the like yeah that's that's the thing that like i feel like i'm very fortunate with from you know having a place to work out of the you know out of the springs and we're right at the base of the mountain we're right off like 21st and 24 and that makes wow. it significantly easier this year we actually um winslow helped us out so we were actually able to get on a lift for the first time like that was a huge benefit to that's have. awesome yeah oil change on a lift you know like i've had it on a lift a couple times for like alignments and stuff but i mean you know you don't realize what you're missing and everybody says it and you know it but like trying to trying to come down from peak week and you're working on jack stands and you're working on your back you know it's it's a lot easier to to have the support network and you know like you said if you're if you're out and about and you don't have any of that you know that's just stuff i take for granted of you know, like all the stuff that's in the shop and all the backup parts and stuff, I'd have to take everything right. with me. Cause my car is like, you know, there's, I mean, there is a lot of stuff that's from home Depot and the junkyard and stuff like that, but it's like, there is, there's a whole lot of stuff that's completely fabricated right. that, you know, I don't have two of, so it's sure yeah, bring all the welders and yeah, it'd be a whole process or you just, you show up and you hope nothing breaks and you know, or you show up and you don't break anything. Well, that's, yeah, but that's, that's, the, that's the secret that everybody with, forgets. Yeah. If you show up with the thing you don't need, that's the thing that's going to break. You know, yep. it's, it's yep. like showing up without a raincoat and then it rains. That's how it works. Oh yeah, that that's exactly how it works. Murphy Murphy is a big fan of racing. That's for sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah, man. Well, Tim, we've we've actually gone on. I just was looking at the time, and we have we have taken up a good chunk of your evening. So awesome. I definitely want to say thank you very much for 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 making the time for coming on to talk to us. Really appreciate that. Um, just as we're winding down here, Scotty, did you have any more any more questions for Tim? No, I just want to say congratulations on your podium this year. Um, it's a beautiful drive, and with, you know, given given what everybody had to deal with, it was a beautiful drive. Thank you. Yeah, and just perfect. just for everything you've been able to accomplish with this car that you've basically completely redesigned all on your own, and just like such, like you are the definition of grassroots uh, motorsports, and it's just it's so cool to see. The progression and it, it, it's 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 awesome and i cannot wait to see what the next chapter is going to be yeah hopefully it just keeps getting faster and faster or i can yes <laughs> or i'm going to say for this year you just drive it more yeah that's that's a big one too for take, sure take the take, big, take big projects out. away and just just drive the thing enjoy it if i start them like right now and then get them done by like january and then i can just 
whenever I want to drive the car, I can. Yeah. There you go. That's the dream. It'll never happen. <laughs> yeah. Never happen. Nope. I should. Uh, I'd be better off getting struck by lightning. <laughs> you know, it's uh, yeah. I wouldn't try that. It, it's actually pretty cloudy here, so that might actually happen <laughs> if you run out right now. Yeah. So, man. Well, and and so Tim, just uh, we, we've kind of alluded to it, but like, where can people go to see like Tim Tim Hardy Racing? on Instagram to see what you, what you've done to follow you. Um, wh where else can they find you and see what you're yeah. up to? There's um, I'm trying to put stuff out on YouTube too. There's also Tim Hardy racing. I put all almost every one of the like in-car race runs are on there. Some of the qualifying. Um, I did a couple like random build videos too, which since we were talking about the build up of the car, it might be good to go through that. I do want to try to do one more that, actually kind of shows off like the final product of the car. Cause I, I went, I had one that was like halfway through, um, the finished build and, you know, I'm sure people are like kind of eager to see what kind of take some of the stuff off to where you can see some of it, um, versus yeah. just the outside of the car. But, um, yeah, that's, that's a good resource and that's pretty much it. Just Instagram right. and yeah, he's, you do. So I will, I will put links in the description to all of it. Be good enough. Yeah. So, well, Tim, thanks again so much for the time. Really looking forward to see what this year and, and I guess next year holds for you. Hopefully we'll, we'll maybe see out there driving the car more. I, I want to see what this thing will do. I would love to know what your, what your high planes lap time is. Yeah. I'll take a Pueblo lap time, but like for us, for what, for some reason, probably because it's a little bit closer. High planes is kind of our measuring stick. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, yeah, I should, We'll see if I ever get the car up there. It's just like that much further away. Even though I go to Lahana, the reason I had to go to Lahana is just they, you know, it's such a cheap deal to go out there, and you can a lot right. of times there by yourself, so I don't have to worry about anybody running into me or me running into somebody else. So yeah, right. <laughs> well, very cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you again, Tim. Appreciate it, and thanks everybody for listening. And until next time, as always, stay tuned with Flatirons Tuning. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Flatiron Syndicate Motorsports Podcast. Once again, we'd like to let you know that your support is what makes this show possible. Be sure to check out our online store at flatironstuning.com for any of your aftermarket or OEM Subaru parts needs. And as always, stay tuned with Flatiron's Tuning.